Welcome and thanks for listening. I'm Stacey Randall-Shaheen. And I'm Diane Amelia-Reed. Together, we will examine essential questions so you can cultivate a deeper connection to your true identity and help others do the same. This is personal power for the common good. Change your life, change the world. Welcome to Personal Power for the Common Good. This is the podcast where we explore the bonuses and barriers that come with each stage of human development. We find ways to sidestep those barriers on the way to authenticity, and we learn how to help others do the same. This particular podcast episode is dedicated to Bell Hooks, an American cultural critic, college professor, feminist theorist, and writer. She was named by Utney Reader as one of its 100 visionaries who could change your life. Pretty nice title. And she's the author of more than 16 books and a true believer in the power of love to heal individual, national, and global wounds. I'm Stacey Randall Shaheen, an adult educator and human rights advocate. I am here with my good friend, colleague, and coach, Diane Amelia Reed. Hi, I'm Diane Amelia Reed, a college and career advisor, social justice advocate, and a personal transformation coach. Stacy and I are delighted to have you with us for episode eight of Personal Power for the Common Good. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. We're so glad you're here. A Personal Power for the Common Good is a podcast for everyone who's in relationship, somehow connected to another person an animal or community. And this is literally for anyone who gives care to a child, a friend, a parent, or an elder. could be a neighbor, personally or professionally. And it's for those who want to give care to themselves. So our target audience is you, and by extension, anyone whose life you touch. This episode is brought to you by Shine, the Mindset Mastery Workshop series that helps you become the you that you are meant to be. In the first 12 episodes of this series, our podcast is focused through the lens of eight key developmental stages. This is a framework created by psychologist Eric Erickson. These stages start with infancy and progress through to our final days. If you'd like to learn about the stages of pre-birth to early adolescence, you'll find previous episodes at our website, personalpowercommongood.com. Last time in episode seven, we dug deeper into the identity versus role confusion fifth stage, this being through the lens of our 13 to 15-year-old selves. We considered what kinds of support and coping mechanisms that may have developed to help navigate those middle school years and how the middle school experience shaped our adult selves. Now, although everyone develops at different rates, for most people, puberty has finally sprung in all its glory or its misery, or as often as not, both, by the age of 15. And since older youth become more competitive than their younger selves and judge themselves more and more by what other people think of them, The end of middle school or freshman year in high school can leave deep marks on the human psyche, positive or negative. And the ongoing advances or intrusions 
of technology and social media have magnified both the intensity and quantity of not made for prime time content. Mm-hmm. Other people are talking about you and the whole world sees it forever embedded in cyberspace. No, thank you. <laughs> Truly frightening for me to think of. I'm glad my mistakes or transgressions or bullying by others were not saved for all eternity. Oh, or yeah, dragged forward. Right. Left back there where it belonged. <laughs> <laughs> well, rethinking or reclaiming your personal power can be confusing, it can be challenging, and it can be tender work. So in each episode, we feature a self-awareness activity to guide you and a self-care tip to foster self-love. The self-awareness activity in episode seven was to think about a situation or experience between the 13 to 15-year-old you and an adult that you would change if you could go back in time. We provided a cartoon strip, a worksheet for you to rewrite history with you in charge of the content and the ending. Now, if you're comfortable sharing, we would love to see some examples of your work or your comments, so please post them on our discussion board. We really would love to see your work. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But before we go on, I want to define the words self-love that Diane Amelia mentioned. Some people equate that idea with selfishness or an ego or self-adoration. And that's not what we mean at all. Self-love is about accepting yourself, nurturing yourself, knowing that you have value as an individual and deserve nothing but compassion and nurturance from other people. And when you have self-love, you can begin to truly love others and to participate in healthy relationships. Giving from a full cup. Exactly. We've talked about the emotional bank account before, and we've described it was described by acclaimed author and parent Stephen Covey. And it Wait, works just like... How many kids did Stephen, does Stephen Covey have? He is the father of 10, which gives him major cred in my book <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to relationships and parenting. So the, amazing, the emotional bank account is one of the best things I, I learned from him. And it, it works like a regular one where there are deposits and withdrawals. And so really thinking about daily deposits that are positive, like kind actions, words of praise, a ride to the mall, and so on. And withdrawals, just the opposite, unkind, words of ridicule, arbitrary punishments, and so on. Making deposits to people of all ages is one of the straight, straightest paths, can't even say that word, most straight path <laughs> to personal power. Yeah, yeah. And thinking deeply about your life and cultivating more self-awareness, it can bring up some uncomfortable feelings. So you not only need to, you deserve to take care of you along the way. And that's another good reason to go to our website and check out the previous episodes because you'll have lots of self-care tips. That's right. And because we want you to help others, each episode includes ways that you can be a catalyst for personal power in your circle of influence. For last week's 13 to 15-year-olds, one idea is to encourage sports participation for girls. This increases their perception of their bodies as power tools of agency, rather than simply as a means to attract boys or other girls for romantic relationships. Or simply something to dress up and look pretty. Exactly. To decorate. Okay, today's episode continues in Erickson's fifth 
stage of psychosocial development, which is identity versus role confusion, this time with a focus on 16 to 19-year-olds. In the United States, this is typically the later high school years up to the first year in college or entry into the adult workforce. The unique stresses of life in the 21st century that we touched on in the last two episodes They certainly do not get any easier for this age group and can derail a safe passage from childhood into adult. To introduce today's topic, please consider this question. How are high school completion, college admission, and first entry into the adult workforce different now than they were in the 1980s? in the 1990s, or even the early 2000s. Very different. We could spend the entire episode talking about the differences, but I would summarize them with one word, fear. I wasn't worried about suffocating college debt, for instance, when I applied to school. I luckily did not practice active shooter drills in high school or elementary school. And the threat of climate change was a well-kept secret. And the rent for a three-bedroom apartment was about $900 a month in, in, around the Boston area. You can't rent a three-shelved closet for that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shortly after I moved to Boston in 1980, I shared a two-bedroom apartment, and our total rent, total rent split between two people, was $320. Wow. And I know, right? And it was a bit of a scandal when that rent went up to $360. <laughs> And thinking back to college debt, my first year at a private residential college cost under $5,000. And in year four, it was just over $8,000. Like unimaginable. It went up a lot, you know, percentage wise over that time. But, you know, it was money to our family, but it was paid off quickly, not over decades. Exactly. Well, in each episode, we explore two essential questions to deepen thought and reflection. Stacy and I are both educators, so we offer these essential questions as a learning guide, you know, something uh, specific to achieve or to understand during our time together. In this episode, our two essential questions are these. First, how were your self-perceptions influenced or changed by your experiences of late high school, early college, or entrance into the adult workforce? And our second question, has the healthy development of older youth been hindered or protected by the social, political, and economic factors in the United States today? Yeah, I experienced another major school and life change as a late teen. You know, I described last time about being the new girl on the block for for middle school. So the new friendships I had cultivated by the 10th grade were, you know, were pretty solid. But then I left. I left that high school for 11th and 12th and enrolled in a private boarding school in New Hampshire. And I entered as a fairly confident and fit 16-year-old with a local first love boyfriend. I gained 40 pounds during my first year. And I lost a lot of my sense of self. I felt comfortable and worthy in the classroom because I knew and know I'm smart. 
But the rest of the scene was pretty alien to me. And coming from a lower middle class divorce household, my scholarship to attend was not necessary for the overwhelming majority of my classmates. While some of them talked about vacationing in Switzerland, for example, I look forward to the one hour drive back home. Although everything was not peaches and, and roses at home with my mom and a new stepfather, I remember literally kissing the front steps when I went home during Thanksgiving break for the first time <laughs> during junior year. Going to that school was the first time I, I became consciously aware of social class. And I internalized a sense of being the other for the first time, really. But at the time, scholarship recipients were given jobs as a way to give back to the school. But I didn't realize at the time that my library gig shelving books kind of outed me, you know, as someone whose family didn't have a lot of money. I didn't even know that mattered. Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience my first year of college. I remember my roommate receiving care packages from home with expensive new clothes. And I was shocked that, that such a thing was a thing. Uh -huh. You know, money just did not work that way in my house. Yes, very different. But my experience of the less than other during high school was really difficult at the time. But like most struggle, it led to productive growth, you know, in me as a person. I think my sense of empathy blossomed then, my concern for the quality of human life. It's been a guiding force for me ever since. This is an age when older teens continue to develop their own worldview, and it can be dramatically different than their parents' or their caregivers' version. There is a reason why teenagers are sometimes compared to toddlers. The two age groups share an emerging sense of identity, an emerging sense of independence, and open rebellion against parental authority. Yeah, and believe it or not, that open rebellion is actually a healthy thing. I remember one time daring my stepfather to hit me during an argument and pointing out whenever I could that he was not my father and had absolutely no power over me. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I think that tension was a solid reason why I wanted to leave home to go to a boarding school and why, quite frankly, my mother probably <laughs> wanted me to go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to give you a timeout, Stacy. Exactly. Two-year one. <laughs> well, just like during the toddler stage, physical, verbal, and emotional abuse can escalate at home and at school during the older teen years. Teenagers' expressions of independent thought and action can be really scary for parents or adult caregivers. It is not comforting to know that the number one cause of death of young men in the United States is reckless behavior, like speeding cars, dangerous stunts, alcohol abuse, unsafe sex, and so on. The staggering rates of youth depression, social anxiety, cyberbullying, eating disorders, and so on in Western industrialized societies around the world are in-our-face indicators that they are not, they being these teens, are not getting what they need from the adult world around them. Yeah, and they're not getting what they need in general from the society around them. That's one of Stephen Covey's point is back in the day, people could kind of count on the culture to help raise their children appropriately. You know, if you went off to play, everyone was kind of watching you. And now it's the opposite. Parents have to work against the culture in order to keep their kids safe and innocent and all that good stuff. And it's interesting, too, because 
a stereotype of teenagers is that they are obsessed with stuff. You know, the latest phone, the fanciest device, the nice car. And that's the perception that marketers of conspicuous consumption, like we've talked about before, they want all of us to believe that. I read about a nationwide study of American teens. It's, it's old. It's about a decade ago. But I think the core analysis is still valid. When asked what they wanted the most, they didn't respond with desires for more stuff. And you may be shocked to know, they responded with wanting to spend more time with their parents. You know, when you think about teenagers as moody and sullen and wanting to be alone, their words and actions, they might not always, they don't seem like they want to lean on that way in terms of being with their parents, but it's, it's an important insight for parents to remember because actually they need you more than ever. I know you and I have talked about this, but I didn't have that feeling so strongly about wanting more time with my parents when I was a teen because we had family dinner every single night. So we, we had our time together and we laughed a lot. We talked about our days, you know, or just whatever was going on, but we had that time to engage. And so that gave me agency to go be out in the world um, because I knew they had my back. Absolutely true. And there's tons of research behind that as well, that regular family dinners make a huge difference in children's lives and adult lives. Now, I'm just going to say this about that. On Sunday night, dinner was popcorn and Kool-Aid, but we did it together. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's not about content. Yeah. It's about right. the connection. And so far, we've shared ways to encourage the development of personal power in children and emerging adults. But in order for this to work, parents or adult caregivers, you have to be willing and able to let go of some of the power. And that's not easy to do. Pay attention to the older teenager's emotional bank account. Listen more than talk. And you got to give up some of your own power to help them realize and practice their own. You know, and throw that power over mentality that we've talked about before, just throw it out the window. And one concrete way to practice this is to accept the fact that older teens experiment with all kinds of things, sexuality, alcohol, drugs. Some choose to participate and some don't. But let your teen know that you love them no matter what they choose. And further develop the family password idea that we talked about with younger kids by creating one with your teen. It's a little different this time. Think about like if they're at a party or any situation that makes them feel uncomfortable, you can continue to be the askable parent with a phone call or a text that mentions a particular word that you decide together in advance. Pick them up, send an Uber. No questions asked, no lectures given, just safe haven from the storm of the moment. Hmm. Classic psychological theories developed predominantly by white men focus on the importance of Western youth separating from adults in order to fully develop. Autonomous independence is the goal. Standing on your own two feet becomes the mantra, and some caregivers respond with tough love rather than acceptance in times of crisis. That particular psychological perception may be the reality for some, but it is certainly not the perception or the reality for all. More, more modern psychological theories emphasize the importance of interdependence, the human necessity of connecting with other people in order to be fully whole. 
I was raised with the polarity that independence is good and dependence is bad. I was very proud of being an independent girl and an independent woman. But boy, did I get a dope slap and a lesson after <laughs> I had rotator cuff surgery on both shoulders and I could barely use my arms for weeks and weeks and weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I learned the beauty of interdependence then, and I recognized that it's just one big cycle of giving and receiving. Yeah, I like that image of a, a cycle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's only that. It doesn't make me less than because I'm receiving. It doesn't make me better than when I'm giving. It's all interconnected. It is interdependent. Exactly. Relational cultural theory in particular was developed by a psychologist named Jean Baker Miller, and she was from the Stone Center at Wellesley College. And her theories really support our belief that human connection is what helps people thrive and become their best selves. Now, Ms. Miller describes what she calls the five good things that cultivate growth-fostering relationships among people. And these five good things transcend race, gender, culture, sexual orientation, class, age, and so on, because they apply to all people, and they build on what people with all types of social differences have in common, the need to be connected. And the roots of healthy growth among people are mutual empathy and mutual empowerment. Because there are aspects of our culture that do an outstanding job of promoting disconnection from each other and ourselves, we need to be intentional and deliberate about countering the forces that urge us to stand alone and to stand against. The five good things, actually, they're not things at all. They are ways of being that can change lives and actually change the world. Now, according to relational cultural theory, a few hallmarks of growth-fostering relationships are these. Both people experience more zest, more energy. Both people feel more agency in their lives. They feel capable to take action when needed. Both people develop greater self-awareness and understanding of others. Both people feel a greater sense of self-worth. And each person feels more connected, not only to the other, but become more trusting to develop relationships with other people. Oh, what a world it would be. Mm. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. If that was a law, <laughs> this is how you must treat people. <laughs> <laughs> with love, with respect. <laughs> and compassion. <laughs> That'd be a lovely law. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in exercising the five good things with older teens in particular, it will enable young adults to develop as individuals yet remain intricately connected to their families of origin, their first shelter from the storm. Now, in chronic disconnections and relationships can develop at all ages. And since human brains are literally wired neurons for connection, physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual isolation is the primary causes of feeling helpless, hopeless, or in despair. And because we yearn for connection, we sometimes tolerate abuse. We stay silent in the face of injustice. We feel ashamed of how we think or feel or look or love. And we push our authentic selves out of the way to preserve connection, mm. whether healthy or not. 
The boxes of identity imposed by culture, ethnicity, gender, race, and so on can be forces of personal power and pride or of deep personal shame, the ultimate disconnection from one's authentic self. How young we were when we first experienced that shame, how often, how much it was countered or reinforced by the people around us, and how we have processed or experienced it since, all determine our ability to live a happy, fulfilling, and connected life. Gratefully, we learn and we evolve. Human development is a lifelong process of change, of adaptation, with the ability to improve in awareness, training, and practice. Whatever the circumstances of your personal life history, you can examine the past and choose to move on to a different kind of future by looking within and committing yourself to positive change. Yeah. And that freedom of choice is something that Stephen Covey talks about very explicitly as well. Never forget, as humans in particular, we have freedom of choice. And with that in mind, let's revisit this episode's two essential questions. How did your experiences of late high school, early college, or entry into the adult workforce, how did that shape your perceptions of your inner self? And have the social, political, or economic factors in the U.S. in particular, and the rest of the world, have they hindered or protected the healthy development of older youth? As you reflect more on those essential questions, we want you to know this. Establishing growth-fostering relationships with older teens allows them to express emerging freedom and individuality, which is good, and express them in healthy ways. Emphasizing interdependence maximizes human potential and connection in our increasingly disconnected world. And the five good things of growth-fostering relationships are universally available to everyone. And they can be implemented at any age and stage of development. So it's never too late. It's never too early. (laughs) To deepen your understanding and self-awareness, an action step for next time, imagine yourself as an emerging adult from the ages of 16 to 19. I luckily have my journals from that age. Wowzers. (laughs) They're quite a read. Anyway, go back in time and try to write down a couple of paragraphs on how and by whom you experienced the five good things. Like who gave you more energy? Who was like, yeah, let's take action and do something. Who helped you really think about yourself and other people in good ways? Did you feel better around that person? And did you feel like you could trust more people in addition to that one person? Did you experience one or more of these? And if you did not experience any of them as a 16 and 19 year old, how do you wish you had? Or how could you model them for an older teen in your circle of influence? Check out the relational checklist worksheet at our website, personalpowercommongood.com for a simple graphic to get you started. I love that idea. And after doing that, if you do find um, from the 16 to 19-year-old point of view that there's an experience you'd like to rewrite with the ending you'd prefer, we have that worksheet too from last week. That's right. In graphic novel style. So that's kind (laughs) of cool. Y'all, self-care is important on the daily as, as basic 
best life maintenance. But it's especially important when you're focusing on personal growth work, which can sometimes be tender work. And sometimes it's helpful to lean into those tough feelings. So try sitting quietly for a few minutes, eyes fluttered closed, both hands placed over your heart, and just breathe. Then notice, without judgment, please, notice what feelings come forward. Are they tears? Are they gratitude, fear, joy, the full combo pack? Remember, no judgment, just notice and just let it flow. Each episode, we also share ways you can pay it forward to become a positive catalyst for a happier, better, and more loving world, one person at a time. Today's suggestions on how to be a positive influencer of personal power for 16 to 19-year-olds are these. So buckle up for this one. (laughs) No matter what your personal or religious values might be, accept the fact that this age group contains sexual beings, whether they choose to have sex or not. You've got to talk to them. Talk to them about the physical, the mental, and the emotional aspects of sex. No one ever talked to me about that. And and birth control and STDs and all that stuff. This isn't a, like, let's think about it, maybe. This is a must. And you have to answer their questions honestly. And remember that I don't know, or let me find out for you, or I'm not comfortable answering that if it's about you. They're all perfectly good answers. Teach them about the five good things in a growth fostering relationship. And ask them how you can cultivate these five in your adult teen relationship. Talk about what mutual empathy and empowerment are and how they can be demonstrated in your relationship. Now, you may be surprised at how wise they are, and you Mm -hmm. might learn a lot from them, and vice versa. You know, they're almost legal adults, and you gave them roots, so now you got to give them wings. But keep those relational breadcrumbs out. Make sure they can see them from the sky to guide their way home. (laughs) Listen, if you take a step toward the common good, if you have a a eureka moment in your self-care or in your role as a positive influencer, from what you heard in this podcast or any episode, tell us about it. Drop us a note at personalpowercommongood.com because we love hearing from you. Your thoughts matter, your words matter, and you matter. As part of every episode, we share words of wisdom from someone who inspires us. And this episode honors the words of author and wise woman, Bell Hooks, who wrote her book, which was called All About Love, New Visions. She wrote, love heals. When we are wounded in the place where we would know love, it is difficult to imagine that love really has the power to change everything. No matter what has happened in our past, When we open our hearts to love, we can live as if born again, not forgetting the past, but seeing it in a new way, letting it live inside us in a new way. Mm. Mm. I just love that image. Well, with that beautiful image, we have a wrap on the eighth episode of Personal Power for the Common Good. We hope you'll join us next time when we'll complete Erickson's identity versus role confusion stage of human development up to the age of 21 and begin the early years of his sixth stage, intimacy versus isolation, 
through the age of 24. Hey, thanks for listening. If any thoughts have popped up that you'd like to share, if you have any questions, or there's something you'd like to learn more about, please, please, we want to know. Contribute to the discussion board, personalpowercommongood.com, where you will find all our previous episodes. We sure hope you're finding value here and ask that you help us spread the word about our podcast. You know, listen, listeners can find us on all the streaming outlets and at our website where you'll find the weekly worksheets too. I'm Stacy Randall Shaheen. And I'm Diane Amelia Reed. We appreciate you and we look forward to our ongoing and ever-evolving conversation on personal power for the common good. Change your life, change the world.